Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz, and also my voice, which is back, which is nice. It's nice to have my voice back since uh, I had to do the show last week alone. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. It's, it's, everybody was pretty much sick all at once. Yeah. <laughs> Stephanie Burke was not here. She was, she was away, but she was also sick. She was just sick while she was away. And she's sick again this week. She actually showed up to do the show, and she was messaging me and telling me, like, some of the symptoms she still had. And I said, no, no, don't don't come in. First of all, like, if you're sniffling and coughing and wheezing and all that stuff, like, trust me, it's terrible to have to talk on the radio if you're already feeling like that. But uh, also, I'm just starting to beat down this cold that I've had for weeks. I don't need to catch something else, too. So, Moniz, if you brought in any uh, germs from the lab... I don't, uh. It's funny, I just started at a new lab this week. I know, and, uh, I'm worried about what you're going to start bringing in for show and tell. <laughs> but, uh, well, and congratulations on that too, by the way. Thank you. And, uh, we are going to be talking tonight about UFOs with our guest, Dr. Irina Scott. Do I, do I sound all right, man? I sound a little bit far away to myself. All good over there? Right. Okay. So we'll be talking a little bit later on with Dr. Irina Scott. We'll be talking about her own personal experiences with UFOs, as well as some of the information that she's learned in her research. But I'm really excited to have her on because when she was on with us on Midnight in the Desert a while back, she was telling us how she had her first experience in the Bridgewater Triangle. Well, she was telling us where the experience was, and I realized that it was in the Bridgewater Triangle when she started explaining to me the specifics of where it was so you look like matt you look like there's something wrong it it definitely sounds weird to me i don't know what it is either i don't know why i have to be like right directly on the mic i can't go off mic at all usually and and this one's usually pretty good but uh, we'll we'll figure it out as we go along uh so we'll be talking with her coming up in just a little bit about her experiences and then uh, before that though we have some special guests that will be joining us uh, to talk to us about, you've heard us mention it for uh, a few weeks now, the X-Filers United Conference, which is coming up, and I believe we have our guests on the line for that. Uh, good evening. Uh, is this Jamie? Oh, I should turn the phones on. There we go. How about that? Hello. Hello, Tim. Can you hear me? Yes, Jamie. Hey, this is Jamie, yes. All right. We have uh, Jamie Mauricio on the phone with us from the X-Files United Conference. Is it going to be just yourself, or is Val joining us, too? Val should be joining as well, yes. Okay. Oh, and here we go. She's coming in now. So let's add her into the conversation. Oh, and I dropped Jamie off. <laughs> this is starting off well. <laughs> let's, uh, let's welcome Val to the show. Uh, good evening, Val. Is that you? Yes, that's me. Hi. How you doing? Hi. It's great to talk with you. We, uh, I'm just waiting for Jamie to call back in now because I cut him off accidentally when I went to take your call. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm much more professional at emceeing events, I promise, than I am at pressing <laughs> buttons on the radio. I'm sure you are. I have no fear. <laughs> so, uh, we will, we will have him, uh, join us, uh, in a few moments when he calls back in. But we've been talking for a few weeks about this X Follies United Conference and it was actually, it was, you, it was your idea. Val, to put this this conference on, what gave you the idea of of, of putting this on? Well, there was actually two things. One is, uh, it's one of my all-time favorite shows, number one. And there was a great energy, the resurgence, uh, the new season. There was an energy. 
And I said, you know, it would really be nice to have people together who love the show, but not just the romance and stuff, the whole show, you know. And then I said, um, and then I thought, well, we don't really have, um, like my, many of my friends are not interested in the paranormal like I am or uh, in the X-Files. So I said, I really would like to start meeting people and maybe put something together where I can meet people who uh, where we can discuss and learn from each other. And that's how it started. And then, uh, and Jamie Mauricio, you got involved as well uh, with the conference. How, how did you get involved? Yeah, that's correct, Tim. So, uh, first of all, thanks for having us on. This is great. Uh, and I um, actually, uh, I've been a researcher of the paranormal ufology topic for a little over 10 years now, and I'm always looking to attend local conferences. And so when I did a Google search back in December, it, the conference Exfiles United uh, popped up, and I saw the organizer was Val, so I actually reached out to her via email. And then uh, she wrote, I said, hey, I'd love to help out with a conference if you need some help. And she emailed me back. And so I, Val and I met uh, in person about a little over a month ago and uh, chatted. And I've been helping Val organize the conference uh, since then. And uh, it's, it's really the lineup is fantastic. Uh, just taking a look, it's going to be happening from Friday, April 26th to Sunday, April 28th. And uh, you can find out all about it by going to x-filersunited.com if you want to check out the website. It's happening at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island. And it really, it's a, it's a who's who of uh, strange and interesting topics and people that you've heard on this show before, uh, friends of ours and some friends of Moniz and, and names that will certainly be familiar to anybody uh, that is familiar with the, the topic of the paranormal. Of course, Greg and Dana Newkirk. We'll be there, Colin Schneider. There'll be a screening of the Bridgewater Triangle documentary, which is something that I know has come together recently with uh, Aaron Kadju in the house, uh, Tom Reed, Paul Eno, Gary McKinstry, Mike Stevens, Shane Soroys, Joshua Cutchin, Suzanne Chancellor, Mike Clellan. Oh, so many people. And, of course, one of our favorite people in the world, Andrew Lake, will be there as well. I'm so glad that you're including Andrew because you really can't have something paranormal in Rhode Island without including Andrew Lake. Well, um, I'm just amazed at our lineup, it, and, and a big part of that is for Jamie. I mean, I was asking the universe because I needed some more help. I needed help, and the universe gave me Jamie, and he, I really, he really helped um, bring a lot more people uh, to the uh, to the conference, a lot more speakers. And Jamie, I was reading your bio on on the website, and you're originally from here, from New Bedford. That's correct, yes. Originally from New Bedford, Tim, and, uh, yep, I lived there, uh, grew up there, moved to Rhode Island back in 1999, and um, lived in California for a couple of years, but been in Rhode Island for a while, um, and really, you know, my background was really a mainstream kind of person, didn't didn't really have, um, you know, much insight into, into the ufology topic until about 10 years ago. Um, some events happened, uh, some, some strange events happened that led me down this path, down the rabbit hole, and... Now I've been researching, researching the topic for 10 years and, and um, think it's a really important topic and uh, something that a lot of folks should, should be aware of. And, and so I'm passionate about it and love, love getting the, the stories out. And, uh, of course, you'll be presenting as part of the conference, but also uh, you had mentioned to me when we were on the phone, of course, you know, Matt Moniz has, has uh, agreed to be part mm-hmm. of this, this event. And when I found out, I actually found out about it before Moniz told me about it because I was on Greg and Dana's page and I saw that they were coming to Rhode Island and I said, oh, that's great. They're going to be in our neck <laughs> of the woods. And then I find out Moniz is going to be there. I was like, well, you know, I'm going to 
Well, let's clarify. Mm. I'm going to be there running the audio-visual part of things. <laughs> yeah, but you're going to be there talking with people and sharing your own stories with people. You know, yeah. people can go up and talk to you. And and um, so this is, this is really going to be like a, a great gathering of people. But, Jamie, you were talking about not only having people – uh, present things individually, but also having some some roundtable like panel discussions and all different ways of approaching these these strange topics that just don't get enough. We don't all get together enough to talk about these things. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. Absolutely, yes. On Saturday evening, we'll have a, a dinner planned, and we're looking to uh, have a speaker panel for at that dinner event with several of the speakers. So that should be an awesome uh, part of the weekend as well. And uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, a lot of folks. Uh, I think these conferences help educate those who are in the dark about the, the topics, but also, you know, many of those who have had paranormal experiences or experiences, um, you know, in the ufology area, really help folks share experiences with one another, connect, and, um, you know, I've, I've been to these conferences, several of these myself, and I've seen, I've seen how folks help each other, so it's, I think it's uh, fantastic in that regard as well. And, and Val, have you had your own experiences mm-hmm. yourself? Uh, actually, no. <laughs> I guess you could say I'm a wannabe. Um, well, I was going to say, would you like I, some? Because we could probably I, arrange a few for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but I've always want. Uh, I've always been interested in it, and uh, but I have never really had a, a true experience. Um, and I just want to add with the con- uh, convention is we are we're going to have I think a couple more surprises for people. Just to put that out there. <laughs> Couple well, of things are in the works. So. That sounds that sounds great. And if if you want to have a true paranormal experience, uh, sit next to Moniz at dinner <laughs> because I noticed that uh, cowboy baked beans are on the menu. <laughs> so you you'll definitely have a paranormal experience uh, sitting next okay. to him. That sounds like fun. <laughs> and so people can actually go to the website right now and they can purchase tickets. They can go to x-filersunited.com and they can get exactly. their tickets for this event. I can't believe the price for this, for all of the things that are planned, for everything that you can get involved with, to go for all three days, only $60. I mean, that's an insane deal to get all of this entertainment and information and to be able to connect with all these folks. Uh, I think people are going to jump on that right now, but we, we want to stress that's an early registration price, right? The, the, the prices are right. going to go up soon. Right. But, uh, but it has been, um, the, it's, uh, the, right now the cutoff is February 28th. Um, we might extend that a little bit more, but, um, if people, you know, once we get, you know, when people start, you know, tickets and stuff, I'm not so much concerned about the price. I just, I want to make it affordable for people. That was one of my main things. And um, I saw the different comparisons of different conventions, and I thought that that was a fair, um, you know, a fair um, amount of money because I want, you know, people are going to be coming and spending hotels and stuff like that. I want it to be affordable for people. Well, it certainly is. I mean, essentially, it's thirty dollars for one day. So if you're going to go, you might as well go for all three days. Buy the three day pass for sixty days. It's like buying two days, getting one free. It's a, yep. it's a fantastic mm-hmm. deal. Yeah, and and the uh, the hotel, the hosting hotel, Crown Plaza is a beautiful hotel. Um, they're giving us a good price. Um, I think people will be very pleased with the accommodation, so I think that's another plus. Um, and we're right on. If you know Rhode, Island, many people don't know Rhode Island, but we're like five minutes from a main strip, 
and there's like every single type of restaurant <laughs> you could ever imagine. Uh, so if you like sushi, there's places for sushi. If you like a pizza, there's pizza. You like, I mean, there's everything down there. Um, it's very, it's very accessible to people. Um, and if you like going to casinos, we have several around the area. If you want to extend your stay a little bit and, and spend a little money at the casinos, we have quite a few in the surrounding areas. And that is true. Uh, I have a little surprise for both of you. Ooh. That sounds good. Yes. Um, Does this I, relate to the beans? No, it actually okay. <laughs> relates to helping out with expenses. Um, I was able to talk Tom Reed into coming hanging out at my place for uh, the weekend so you don't have to cover a cost of a hotel room for him. And he said oh, he also he also says he'll, he wants to drive up because he also wants to take a a little trip with me here and there so you don't have to take care of an airfare, just cover his gas. Oh, thank you so much. Please tell him I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're thank welcome. You a lot. That's also better for everybody that would have been staying at the hotel because now when they get abducted, they can get abducted from Moniz's house <laughs> instead of having it happen at the hotel and risk having everybody else go up with them. So. Well, I just want to say there's a lot of synergy over the past year. I mean, regard to Tom and his site um, for, you know, his monument and his site and the um, the, the new Kirks and the, the new documentary that is giving rave reviews. Um, I mean, it, it just seems like a lot of positive synergy has happened over the last year, and I think this will help keep it going into the next year and the year after. Well, what's great is, uh, Jamie, with this lineup, you brought together people who are certainly, you know, who's who of the lecture circuit, but you've also got a lot of people that might not be as familiar to people. So you've, you've brought together a good mix of, of speakers that will present, you know, even the ones who we're familiar with, they're always presenting something different, but you're going to go to this convention and you're going to hear things that you've never heard before. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. Yeah, I'm really excited about the, the lineup of speakers. As you mentioned, there's Great variety, various topics, everything from paranormal to uh, cryptozoology to the you know ufology topic, um, and really it's been just a network of connections. I've, as I mentioned, researched the topic, had some of my own experiences, but over the years, attending various conferences and meeting folks, really built that network up. And so, as soon as I met Val, one of the first things I, I did was I, re- I reached out to several of these contacts, and um, and then that's what led me, you know, to all these folks who were just. As Val mentioned, all the energy behind it, everyone was just so eager to be part of it and excited and, and so helpful, and so it's, it's, it's gained a ton of momentum, uh, and so it, um, you know, it, it was fortunate to kind of to, to know these fabulous folks and bring them all together, so really excited about it. And, and Val, you still have space open for people that would like to be vendors too, right? Yes, I was just going to hopefully I could get that in. Um, we do need, we want some vendors, we need vendors. Um, all you have to do is contact me or Jamie, uh, and, uh, uh, and I can give you more information. I just need your email, and I'll email you more information. And I'm looking for, like, different types of vendors um, that, you know, I, I'm looking specifically, if I can say, someone who works, um, who might, um, sorry, sells um, paranormal equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe um, uh, I would like uh, maybe a comic book or a toy thing that, you know, that's always popular. Um, and maybe an artist, more artists are always welcome. Oh, and I'm also looking for more psychics too. Tarot mm-hmm. readers would be um, would be wonderful. Um, 
so anyone who wants to have a um, something who wants to uh, sell something, please just get in touch with me or Jamie, and we'll get right back to you. We can help you out with uh, people from all of those genres. So we've we, we've got plenty of connections to help you fill up those vendor spaces, and of course. Uh, just taking a look at some of the vendor prices, like to our friends out there that are listening that go out and purchase vendor tables at different conventions. I mean, the, the rates for this are extremely affordable. So definitely get involved. It's, uh, it's absolutely worth it to have uh, people who are of like mind all together and have us all get together for a weekend and make it so that all the normal people that are staying at the Crown Plaza Hotel are like, what are we doing here? Why did we pick this weekend to come and stay here? Thank God the Crown Plaza has had a few conventions that are like outside the box. So they're going to be happy. <laughs> They'll be fine. They'll have <laughs> so, yeah, that'll be good. That'll be fun. I, I just want to have fun. I really want people to have fun, to really get to know each other, and, to, again, to learn and to share their ideas, their experiences, and, and maybe make some new connections, you know, that they can continue after the conference or convention. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to getting to meet you guys in person, and uh, and we'll keep everybody up to date with everything that's being announced for this uh, as we get closer to the event. But again, if you want to go to the website to check it out for yourself, just go to xfilersunited.com. That's x-filersunited.com. You can get all the information. It's happening April 26th, 27th, and 28th at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island. For those of you who are outside of the area, Warwick is the place where TAPS used to have their office. So when you uh, when you used to watch that show, they'd show all the aerial mm-hmm. shots. That's that's Warwick, but it's this is literally like it's 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 close to Providence, but it's still kind of small town America. It's a great place to come and visit, and uh, and I know that we can scare up a good time for everybody with all of our friends around this area. So it's it's worth traveling, no matter where you are in the country or where you are in the world. Come and get together for this event. It's going to be fantastic. Val and Jamie, thank you for putting this together, and uh, and we look forward to talking with you more in the coming weeks. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great yeah, night. Thanks, thanks for Take having me. I really appreciate it. Have a good one, then, guys. Take care. Take, take care. Thanks. That's going to be one heck of a party, I think. But also a great opportunity to really learn a lot of things, too. Oh, what what I like is um, people that have been involved in the subject matter for a long time <laughs> locally, as well as you know some people from a bit further away. It's, it's, it is a good line. I don't, I don't know what's going on, Matt, but when I'm going to cough and I turn down my microphone. I can still hear my cough over the microphone. Is it not turning off? There's there's something weird going on over here and I don't know what it is. Has the engineer been in playing with stuff? No, I Yeah, it's 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 a problem that happens here at other times of the day. Uh, but I'm I'm looking over and I'm trying to see what might actually be causing the problem and I can't see anything that would be an issue. But We'll work our way through it. I did figure out what's probably causing some of that phone feedback. It's because we have to boost the phone so high to get it to kick out over the video so that you can hear it over the video that it's just over-modulating. So I asked the engineer to fix that. Just in case people want to know. Well, because people... Huh? Just because people want to know. Well, people complain about it, so I'm trying to let them know why it happens. But I asked Frank if he could fix that and he could kind of boost the audio from the phone. And uh, I think he put it way down on his to-do list. So, because we are literally the only show on this station where we would have more than one person on the phone at once. <laughs> like everybody else, either just doesn't know how to do it or won't even bother. 
like I've told, I've, I've, I've heard, I won't name names, but I've heard one of the hosts on this station, <coughs> McCarthy, <coughs> tell people on the air, he's like, oh, we can't have a guest on the phone and take calls at the same time. I'm like, you're outright lying to the audience because We've been doing it for how many yeah, years? Everybody else does it. So you're outright lying to the audience. But whatever. So, yeah, we're the only ones that do it, but we'll get it fixed. And uh, so we will be joined in just a few minutes by our, our main guest for tonight, Dr. Irina Scott. We'll be talking about, well, we'll talk a little bit about the truth behind UFOs. Are we being told the truth? Of course not. But what is it that they're covering up? She knows, and she's been to some places that the rest of us wouldn't have access to, and she'll tell us uh, where she's been and, and why she's been there and what kind of research she's done. And then in addition, we want to talk to her about her own personal experiences. We want to talk to her about what happened to her and her sister in Massachusetts. And this is why I had Moniz make sure that he was definitely going to be here for this show. I told you I would be. Because... He, you've been a long-time researcher into this flap that occurred in that time. throughout southern yeah. New England uh, at that time, and for for a while there was quite a stretch of it. So uh, I can tell you that Dr. Scott is very excited because this has been something that has kind of plagued her her whole life, and we're telling her, well, we think that we may be able to help you get closer to some answers. So she was very excited to come on the show, and uh, I'm going to see if I can... Uh, Get her on the line here. Okay. I should probably... Matt, do you mind seeing if you can get her on? I probably should have told you that ahead of time. I would try the uh, the landline. Um, but... Uh, well, that's why I brought in some of the research material I, I dug up over the, over the years. I wanted to see if it was your microphone that, I was, picking, that was picking me up still, but no. Okay. Just weird. I'm just going to keep coughing throughout the show. I'm trying to be a professional and pull my microphone down so that nobody else can hear it, but it's it's not working. Yeah. I'm, I'm just happy to have this much of a voice. If you had heard me last week, I thought when I submitted the episode to Dark Matter for them to replay it on Tuesday, I thought Keith was going to email me back and say, you know, there's no way I can run this show, right? <laughs> because my voice was that bad. And then last night, uh, Dave, well, actually, on, on Wednesday, uh, Dave Schrader reached out to me and said, you know, is, I'm, I'm doing some traveling. Is it possible you could fill in for me on Thursday and Friday if need be? And I said, yeah, yeah. I didn't tell him. I don't really have a voice. But uh, thankfully, he didn't need me Thursday. But uh, he had me fill in last night, and I was very worried that I wouldn't have enough of a voice to get through the show. But thankfully, I did. So who is the guest, if I may ask? Last night, we talked to uh, Dr. Eldon Taylor about... Subliminal. I did, Subliminal? That all, I did that all last night. I did that probably at least three or four times last night. Subliminal <laughs> messaging. Subliminal messaging. And uh, and also just being able to rewire your brain. And um, and he gave me some uh, he gave me some pretty interesting tips of how to be able to do that. And uh, he also said, if the audience goes to his website, which is eldontaylor.com, E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R.com, you can sign up and get a free course from him on how to rewire your brain. Uh, and then the second uh, guest on the show for the last hour was uh, Bernie Taylor, who talked about uh, redefining and, and defining the history of the Sphinx. 
which was very interesting, based on some some cave drawings that were found in Spain that makes it so we actually have to date the Sphinx as being older than it really was. Uh, Mark Schock, are you familiar with his work? That was uh, he talked about some of that. He, okay, and uh, and and really, like it was, we only had an hour, and there was so much we were trying to cover. It was, it was fascinating. So he reached out to me this morning and said, you know, he'd like to come on Spooky South Coast sometime, and uh, and so did Dr. Eldon Taylor. And I don't want to seem like I'm poaching guests from Midnight in the Desert, but we all share. But I, I kind of am poaching guests. <laughs> well, because they Michelle does a great job of booking that show and bringing on some fascinating people, and. Back on January 4th, on my birthday, I got to host the show for Dave, and, and my guest that night was our guest that is joining us tonight, Dr. Irina Scott. She received her Ph.D. from the University of Missouri in physiology, did postdoctoral research at Cornell University, has been an assistant professor at St. Bonaventure University, and has done research and teaching at, I'm required to say it this way, the Ohio State University the University of Missouri, the University of Nevada, and Battelle Memorial Institute. She worked for the Defense Intelligence Agency and the Aerospace Center in Satellite Photography, was a volunteer astronomer at the Ohio State University Radio Observatory, and is taking flying lessons. Her publications include books and works in scientific journals, magazines, newspapers, and she was a correspondent for Popular Mechanics Magazine. She served on the MUFON Board of Directors from 1993 to 2000, is a MUFON consultant in physiology and astronomy, and is a field investigator investigator as well and she joins us tonight on spooky south coast good evening dr scott are you with us yes i am hello it's great to talk with you again it's great to talk to you again too and um this was something that i think was almost destined to happen you know when when i say that i will host uh, midnight in the desert when they ask me to fill in they always say like do you want us to find you a guest that fits any particular topic that you want to cover and i always say nope just book me a guest like you would for dave and i'm willing to talk about anything and everything and it just so happens of course that uh, the first guest that night that i talked to was you and and we find out that automatically there's a connection between what has happened to you and what i've been doing here for years and in, in talking about the bridgewater triangle so i think it was it was kind of destined for us to to meet over the radio airwaves well, I'm certainly glad because I've been reading about that. <laughs> and so you've been researching into the Bridgewater Triangle? Uh-huh. Well, I can tell you that uh, Matt Moniz has been researching uh, the UFO connections to the Bridgewater Triangle for a long time. Uh, he actually brought in some materials tonight. But when you were describing to me on the show, and I'm going to have you recount it for our listeners in a, in a minute, but when, when you're telling me about your, your UFO experience that you had, all I can think of in my head is, where did this happen? I gotta remember to, I gotta pinpoint exactly where it was, and I gotta pinpoint exactly when it was, because it was already triggering in my brain things that I'd heard in the past, and uh, kind of instantaneously I was able to, to realize, like, this is, this is why we were supposed to talk. So, before we get into, uh, all of the work that you have done, in UFO research and some of the places that you've been to and some of the things that you've seen, let's start off with that first experience. Let's talk about how you got interested in this topic to begin with. Okay. Um, should I start at Boston or should I start when I was a child? I would actually, you know, this is why I definitely want to have Moniz be part of this. I would actually start with your childhood experiences because I found that to be kind of the most fascinating part of this whole thing. It was a, it was an aspect of UFO encounters that I was unfamiliar with. Always start from the beginning. Okay. Um, 
this started when I was very young. My sister and I were about, she was about four and I was about six. And we were very poor living in a farmhouse and sleeping in an attic room. And um, neither one of us heard of, had heard of UFOs or anything. We just had a radio, and my parents paid particular, um, just played particular stations on it. So we hadn't heard about UFOs for years later. But we were sleeping in the opposite op- beds on the opposite side of the room, and it was a nice clear night. And after dark, and I woke up. And something was flying around the room. I had no idea what it was, but after watching it for a while, it um, I noticed that it, se- that it acted like something alive because it was it seemed to be guided. It um, it would. There was furniture in the room, our beds and furniture, and it was an attic room, and the walls sloped up to the ceiling. There was a ceiling about three feet between the two walls. And the uh, the object I was watching, it was small, and it seemed to be guided because it never bumped into anything. It flew for at least a minute or more than that around the room, just a random browsing-like motion up and down and back and forth, but it never hit anything. It would turn about a foot away from anything um, it came toward, and it got quite close to both of us. I didn't know my sister was awake, and so I was just watching it. And after it flew around, it got close to both of us, and then it suddenly it flew up to the ceiling but it didn't hit the ceiling it seemed to know where the ceiling was like everything else and it made a right hand turn and there was a lamp in the middle of the room which was turned off and it just flew quite smoothly to the lamp and there was about a foot and a half of space between the lamp edge and the walls and it knew just where to go and it circled the lamp in such a way it didn't hit either the lamp or the walls. And it circled for a while like like maybe 20 or 30 times and seemed to speed up. And then it just made a perfect spiral down under the lamp. And then very suddenly I and my sister became terrified all at once and we both shrieked at once and ran down the stairs and were so scared we collided and fell down the stairs and ran to our parents. And they didn't believe us. So <laughs> that was the first thing that happened. And um, later we heard about UFOs, but even when we heard about UFOs, we... Um, thought of them as airplane-sized things. Yeah, you really didn't think that whatever this thing was that you would experience in your room would would be connected to that. But 
It, I mean, I, I remember I mentioned to you before that it sounded, you know, it sounds to me like a, you know, something that today we would be like, oh, it sounds like a drone. But that's not something that would have been around back then that you would have had flying around your room. And certainly if there was, it would have had to have been somebody there to operate it to make that happen. Moniz, have you ever heard of anything like that in terms of a, an experience where there's this small thing floating around the room? Oh, yes. Number of occasions, and especially in uh, abductee cases. Oh, so it sounds like you might have gotten lucky there, uh, Doctor Scott. That uh, My, well, I was going to say, mind if I uh, ask yes, a few no, questions? Go right ahead. Hi, Doc. Uh, a few questions for you. Can you describe the approximate size of this object? Its color, texture, whether it emitted light or not. I thought it was maybe about half an inch in size, and that was the inside part because it looked like a piece of metal, but it glowed like real hot metal, and there was a glow around it. What color? Sort of an orange. It was like real hot iron. Okay. And you're saying it was about an inch. Did it have a particular shape? Um, my sister seems to remember it as round, and I seem to remember it as sort of like a throat longy or something, uh-huh. um, submarine shape, but I'm not real sure. Okay. Now, you're saying this flew around. Did it fly in a angular motion, or was it more curved and fluid in its path? Curved and fluid. Okay. So you're definitely sure it was not a glowing insect because of the It was way. definitely not a glowing insect. <laughs> I, I, that's what I'm trying to determine if you, you know. No, it didn't turn off or on and go through the swooping like a lightning bug or anything yes. like that. Okay. As you understand, some people say, oh, it's just a lightning bug flying around the house. <clears throat> well, it was like a bug, but it definitely wasn't a lightning bug. Okay. And and Dr. Scott, in your work as a, as a MUFON field investigator, have you ever heard anybody else having a similar experience? Yes. Many years later, I read a book by Jenny Randalls, and she talked about, well, I read an article. She talked about bedroom sightings of young children of small objects in bedrooms, and then the people often fit a pattern where they later see UFOs. And we were, court, we were odd because usually this happens to one person. And with my sister and I, we had that experience together when we were young. And then we had another experience later together. And, and just so we can uh, clarify, when you had the experience when you were younger, uh, what, was, what was the location? Obviously, you were in your bedroom, but where, where did you live at the time? We were in um, north of Ohio. It was a very rural place at that time. We had just a gravel road that was sort of like a trail going by, and our neighbors were farming with horses. We'd just finished farming with horses, and the houses were quite a ways away from each other, and we were on a family farm, and neighbors were our family. May I ask? What year? I don't mean to out you in terms of your age, but... Um, 
we think it was about 1948. Okay. All right. So let's kind of fast forward. Now, that's the only experience that you had really with anything UFO-related until this later experience that you had here in Massachusetts, right? No, I had a couple of other things. Oh. Um, once I was sleeping outside on our porch, we had a rock porch, and um, large uh, ball of light flew over, and very slowly. And I, I mean, I just woke up and saw it, and it was flying over. And when it was directly over me, all the dogs in the neighborhood began to bark, and our dog began to it walk in the kitchen, began to jump and bark and make noises. It couldn't have seen it, but I thought there was some kind of an animal reaction. And then my sister and I both had seen other ones before we had one together, before we had a sighting together again. So she she had another experience uh, in in that same area in 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 Ohio. Uh huh. What was her experience like? Well, she was um, driving with somebody else, and they saw, I mean, she saw what looked like a UFO over a neighbor's house that just disappeared. And she had kind of a good date, kind of a date, but later, just at random, I was talking to these neighbors, and they said they had had a, UFO land in their field, which was sort of unusual, but we couldn't, neither of them knew the right date, although it was roughly about the same year. And so then the two of you were together uh, again when you had the experience out, out this way. Uh-huh. And so why don't you walk us kind of through that and and, uh, and give people kind of the circumstances of, of how that came about. Okay. It was 1968. It was July the 13th, 1968, and I was working for the Defense Intelligence Agency in Washington, D.C., and she was uh, taking postgraduate work at Drew University in New Jersey. And since we were both on the east side of the country, we decided to drive up and see the New England state. And so I drove up to Drew one morning with some co-workers and let them off and took pictures of them and her and things. And then we drove up to Boston. We reached Boston while it was still daylight, and we decided to explore some more. So we we went up, um, we were on Route 128, and then we went to Route 3, and we traveled up it to um, into New Hampshire. And I found out later, just by accident, we were kind of on the same place that the hills have had their sighting, part of it. And we came back to Boston and went around the Outer Belt. And then we took Route 9, and we went into Boston because I wanted to get in the heart of Boston and stay all night and see Boston. But we couldn't find a place to stay. They said everything was filled up. And so we were taking Route 9 back out of Boston, and we began to see a blinking light south of us. It was, uh, we could see airplanes, there was a airport, Northwood Municipal Airport south of us, 
and we could see the airplanes flying in and landing with their landing lights and all their airplane lights and everything. And the object we were watching was appeared to be lower than the airplanes, and it just had one light. It was a very, very, very white light, and it was blinking off and off. And my sister kept saying, this is odd. And I kept saying, oh, it's a helicopter, blinking its landing lights. I'd never seen anything like that, but I um, wanted to explain it. So we were kind of arguing. And then we both admitted to each other we'd seen UFOs, and it wasn't something we talked about. And so we kept on driving, and I went on the um, what was in the outer belt, 128, and we were watching it. And then I uh, drove on the Route 95, the freeway, and it was still ahead of us. And we were arguing about it. So as I was driving along, there was the woods on the west side of the road, and about, I guess, maybe 50 feet away from the car, there was something that looked like a glass basketball. It had, it looked like you could see inside of, and inside of it was this light that was going through a spectrum of different shades of red and different shades of blue. And I had no idea what that thing was, but as we drove by it, it was off to the side of us. The inside of our car lit up in green, and I had no idea what was going on. And um, I looked around. I didn't see anything green. I saw no green beam. The light beside the car wasn't green. So we kept on, and we were still arguing. And we kept on driving down 95, and finally we were about direct, maybe east of the Norway airport. My sister started yelling to stop, 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 stop. And uh, she said it was going to go over the car. And so I had my hand pointed out the window, and I was going to tell her it's a helicopter. And then I saw way off what looked like a meteor. And then the thing came over the trees, and it was pretty low. You could see it quite very distinctly. It um, was soundless, and it had seven things along the side that looked like windows. They were a row of what looked like square windows. And this very, very, very white light was coming through. It looked like it would hurt your eyes if you were inside it. And it was going through a particular blinking pattern of a sequence of um, when the lights are blinking on and off. And you might say, well, this has to be a blimp. Well, we grew up on a farm, and there was a freeway through our farm. It was also a blimp route, and we were very used to seeing blimps and I have a YouTube channel with a lot of videos of blimps with even lighted sides at night and things, and we were pretty used to seeing things like that. And this wasn't anything like a blimp. And so I stopped, and I had a camera in my back seat, and high-speed film was lucky to have that in my trunk. 
And if I thought, even thought for a second it had been a UFO or something, I would have had everything loaded. But I never thought of that. So I didn't have time to apologize to my sister. But we got out, and I looked for my camera and my film and started um, putting film in the camera. In the meantime, it was very slowly going over us, and we could see it very well. And it looked like I, we could see inside the windows, and we were discussing what's inside the windows, and we kept asking each other how many windows do you count, what's in there, what do you see, to make sure we were both seeing the same thing. Do you hear anything? No, we neither one of us heard anything. And so I had my camera loaded, and I thought, oh, this is amazing. I'll get a real unique picture because I'll get the picture of an inside of a UFO. And just then a truck driver drove over in front of us in the park, and he came back, and I thought at first, oh, we'll have another witness. This is great. He stood right beside me, and he said, what are you looking at? And that was strange because this thing was uh, pretty visible. Right. And so You're, I pointed at it. You would think like he was seeing it too, yeah. Like. Yeah. And so I pointed at it, and neither one of us said UFO. So we just acted like it was a airplane or something. And he rotated around just exactly in the opposite direction, looked at the same altitude, and said, I don't see anything. And then he rotated back and looked at me and asked the same question. What, what, are you, what are you doing? What are you looking at? And we pointed again. He rotated around, looked in exactly the opposite direction, and said, I don't see anything. And then he turned to face me again. And said, he didn't say anything, he just kind of pointed to his head like I was crazy. And he went back to his car. By that time, I, I forgot a part to hear that my sister, right when we stopped, my sister said the inside of the car lit up, and she thought the object put a light in our car. I was by the window, so I didn't see it. But then I still wanted a picture of the object, and it seemed to be a lot farther away and it was just a point of light again because it was so far away the windows were merged. So I climbed up a hill with my Polaroid and took five pictures and one of them turned out. It was guesswork because it was uh, timed exposure. It was nighttime and I was pretty careful in guessing at the time and everything. But Anyway, I got one picture and came back to the car. And the object went to the airport, and it began circling the airport. And it was in this real uh, pattern motion where it would blink twice from south to north. When it got north, it would the semicircle would go so fast you couldn't see it. And it just kept going through that pattern and circling the airport. And I'm at that time, I mean, I didn't realize this until I was writing my book or later, but the man, all the time I was thinking maybe this was an accident or something, or coincidence, but it 
wasn't because if you point at something, somebody looks in the direction you point. Well, he looked in the exact opposite direction, so it wasn't just an accident like he didn't see something. He was deliberately not looking at it or looking in the opposite direction. He knew where it was. At that time, I didn't know. We wanted to, we were trying to figure out what on earth the thing was, and I didn't know where it would go after it would stop circling the airport. And so we were fading, facing south on Route 95, and I thought maybe it would go north. So I got took off in my car on the freeway to turn the car around to the next interchange. Well, at that time, the man, he was in a truck, and he just started following us right on my bumper and beaming his bright lights into my rearview mirror so that I was blinded. I didn't know what to do. I slowed up. I speeded up. I changed lanes and everything else. And he just stuck right on my bumper. I couldn't see behind me. I was blinded. And I thought the car is lighter than a truck, so I would floor it. And I did. And he just stuck right on my bumper. And I thought we were going to get killed. And I said goodbye to my sister. And I asked, the only way I could think of to get away from him would be to swerve off the left-hand side of the road. And so I was going to do that. And I asked her to look behind us, and she said she couldn't see anything. And so I did that. But if somebody had been coming faster than us on the right-hand side, we'd have been killed. But I swerved off and got off and turned around the next interchange and went back north. It was still circling, but then it did take off to the northwest. And so I followed it, and I went past the light that was changing colors, and the inside of the car lit up in green again. And then it was going northwest, and we had to, the roads usually went north and south and east and west, so we had to keep zigging and sagging. And finally I wound up in this old, really bad country road with potholes and houses a long ways away from each other. I mean, that's every road in Massachusetts, (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I have to apologize for all of us, but yeah, that could have been any road. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea what road it was. But it was just going a little bit faster than I was, and I couldn't keep up with it without tearing my car up. And so I turned around, and we looked for motel rooms again, but everything seemed to be closed. And so we drove all the way back to Grew, and we got there about 6 in the morning, and I slept for a while. And then I was waiting for the people that wanted to ride back, but they never contacted us. And so it was quite a bit later when I left for Washington. And um, then I had a poltergeist experience. <laughs> I hear that. Well, let's let's hold off on that because we have about uh, two minutes left before we have to take a break for the news. When we come back on the other side, we'll we'll have you share that experience, and we'll try and dig into into your experience, and 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 we'll go over some of what was going on in this area at that time uh, to try and see if we can make some of those connections between what happened to you and what other people have reported as well. And then, of course, we'll, we can also uh, talk with you more about your work uh, and and that you've done in the years subsequent and the research. And by the way, if anybody would like to check out Doctor Scott's 
books, and I'm going to bring them over here for the camera, although Matt's been putting them up on the screen. We have Secret Corridors, Secrets Behind the Real Project Blue Book, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Roswell, Patel Memory Medal, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, and UFO Cover-Ups. You can get that book as well as the previous one, Inside the Lightning Ball, Scientific Study of Lifelong UFO Experiences. Those are both available on her website, irenascott.com, if you want to check that out during the break. Uh, and we'll have it linked up with uh, with everything here in the chat room, and you can be able to go over there and, uh, and pick up the books during the break. Uh, so well, why don't we do that? We'll take a break for the news, Dr. Scott. We come back on the other side. We'll have you tell us more, and then we'll kind of dig into some of the other things that were going on in this area at the time. Great. All right. And uh, just a reminder, <coughs> during the break, uh, we do have a couple of events coming up as well. Uh, at the, We'll be at the, uh, the Oliver House in Middleborough coming up, as well as at the two houses in Winchenden, the Murdoch-Whitney House and the Isaac Morris House. You can get tickets to those events at SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, the special is still on. You can get those during the break. So we'll be back with more Spooky South Coast coming up in just a few moments. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in Paranormal Talk Entertainment, the Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. Stephanie Burke is out sick. She did try to show up this week, but I told her, heck no, I'm just starting to get over my cold. I don't need to catch whatever it is that you have. Uh, but she will be back soon. And uh, we do have some some great shows coming your way in the coming weeks as well. So I think what we've done is we've tried to, you know, set things up book some shows in advance, get an idea of what it is that we're going to be talking about instead of this, you know, kind of booking on the fly thing. I, I like to be able to have the opportunity for us to react to what's going on. Yeah, I understand. But at the same time, like, you know, I like to have things set up so that we can kind of also know what's coming up on the docket. So just to let everybody know that uh, next week we'll be joined by, I'm going to butcher his name, I know it, but uh, Robert Lopaka Kapanui. Okay who is uh, a friend that Stephanie and Porter made when they were out in Hawaii. And we're going to be talking about Hawaiian legends and lore. And so what's interesting about this is they went out there for, they had a mysterious Hawaii conference, and they went out there and took part in that. But I I guess there's been some interesting stories that have happened since they've been there. So they'll fill us in on all of that next week. And uh, and I believe she said Porter is going to be with her next week here in the studio. So we'll get 
both of their stories okay. about the mysterious connections between them and Hawaii. And uh, I bet you they're going to say it Hawaii because they've been there. Yeah. I'm not going to because I've never been. It's like when, like when people say, you know, do you want to go get some of those Portuguese, like, little donuts for breakfast? I'm like, oh, malasadas? And they're like, no, then they say it with the port. They say the Portuguese. Yeah, no, I'm not going to say that because I'm not Portuguese and it'll sound stupid if I say it. <laughs> I am. I can say it. Right. So <laughs> I'll let them say they've been to Hawaii. They can pronounce it that way. I'm just going to say Hawaii. I also don't say, uh, I say Charisse, which is enough for me to even say Close that. Enough. It's enough for me to even be able to say that. So for those of, uh, you, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, what's, what's, what's the, what does the rest of the country call that? Charisse, say there's another. A Chirico? No, that's something. No, they, they have a different way of saying it, though. Uh, I can't think of it. It's pronounced Charisse. Right, but if they eat it like in California or something, they have a different pronunciation for it. Um, well, Matt, Matt probably knows. Are you talking about chorizo? Yeah, chorizo. chorizo. But, well, chorizo is the, uh, the, the cent- Spanish central, version, Central yeah. American version. But it's not, it's not the same thing. It's the same thing, though, isn't it? Kind of, sort of. Yeah, somewhat. No, it's, it's all spicy pork sausage to me. Right. And it's all delicious. So there's that. All right, why don't we get back into the discussion with our guest tonight, Dr. Irina Scott. Uh, I don't know, Dr. Scott, you're probably not aware of this, but at some point on every episode of Spooky South Coast, we have to talk about food. Yeah. <laughs> so that filled our requirement <laughs> for this evening. It well, sounds good. <laughs> we don't mean to do it on purpose. It just it just naturally happens because it's all that we think about. Um, but you were you were sharing with us uh, before the break, your experience here with your sister, uh, and and I just want to take a step back before we get into your poltergeist experience. You had mentioned that this happened in the area of the Norwood Airport, but you said that it kind of happened uh, in the woods. That was kind of uh, to the to the west. You, I remember when we talked before. You said it was kind of over Sharon, right? Yeah, I looked at the map when I made my notes. It was 1968, and the roads have changed, but we. Went down Route 128 to Route 95, and there's a woods on the west side of 95 before you get to the airport, and that's where we saw the light. So we're looking. I'm looking at a map now. So we're talking uh, in the area of like Walpole, um, really kind of you know, kind of in the area now of what we would call like the you know like the Route One. Uh, area where, uh, out, out, like in the Foxborough Walpole area. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's a little bit outside of the Bridgewater Triangle in terms of like how Aaron Kadju would define it, but I would certainly include it because of the amount of strange things that are reported out there, especially yeah. from a UFO perspective. So it's more like the Canton area. Yeah, kind of. It uh, looks like it's a little bit more. So, it was south of one uh, south of one twenty eight, right? Yeah, but not too far south. So, yeah, kind of in that same area, Canton, Norwood area. Okay. Um, and I would definitely include that as being part of that. Yeah. And especially when you're saying what you're describing is similar to uh, some of the other craft that's been reported, not only in that area over the years, but as part of that flap, which we'll get into uh, in just a bit. But before we do that, why don't you recount for us that, that poltergeist experience that you had? Okay. I drove back home and got back to Washington, D.C. pretty late. I was going to bed, and I did, and I began to hear walking sounds 
in my room like a man walking around with shoes on. I couldn't figure out what on earth it was. There was a little bit of light coming into the room from a street light. I couldn't see anybody. And when the walking got close to me, I would try to reach out and touch it, but I couldn't. And I could just hear this walking. It would go a few steps and stop, and then be someplace else in the room and go a few steps and stop. And I never heard anything like that at any other time. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And so I went, I was terrified, but I went to sleep. And my alarm went off. And I thought it's morning, and I got up and started fixing breakfast, and I realized it was dark. And it was 1.30, and my alarm had gone off. And I was pretty terrified. I put a chair by the door and tried to prop it. And then, in spite of being terrified, I went back to sleep again. Well, the alarm went off at 2.30, 3.30, 4.30, and I think 5.30. Wow. And it, the alarm had the nub you turned it with had been broken off, so it was real hard to turn, and I normally use pliers to set it. But it was set right exactly on the right time each uh, 30 and when I reset it, I just set it approximately way off. And so then I woke up in the morning, and I was working for the DIA, and I had this really high security clearance. It was above top secret. And I was afraid I had just gone insane. I'd never heard of poltergeist. And the only thing I think of is I've gone insane. And so I was scared to death not only with whatever was going on, but also about going insane. I might lose my job because right. of my security clearance. And so I was sitting on the bed, and suddenly my toothbrush <laughs> flew across the room and hit the wall. And then everything became normal, thank heavens. And I, I had been rehearsing how to not, speak to anybody at work because I was afraid I was insane, <laughs> but nothing else happened after that. And and I'm sure, you know, Moniz, we, we can we can discuss this too with Dr. Scott. I'm sure she's heard similar stories in the years since, but I know, Moniz, you and I have talked about the fact that people who have had UFO experiences will report other weird phenomena that take place. Yeah. Uh, usually most people that have UFO experiences also have ghost experiences or paranormal experiences or cryptid experiences or all of the above. Once you're affected by one, you're affected by all. It seems to be a, and, a, and a theme. I'm sure that's something that's uh, popped up in your, your later work with MUFON, Dr. Scott. Yeah, much later I found out about poltergeists and that people that have close encounters often see poltergeists, but I sure didn't know it then. And it would have been nice to have known that, so you wouldn't have thought that you yeah. were going crazy. But so, why don't we um, why don't we kind of dig into this a little bit then? Uh, because you know, as as I told you when when we discussed this, I remember saying to you, "Oh well, you know, I have to have you talk to Matt Moniz because he has uh, spent a lot of time researching and knows other people who have spent a lot of time researching the UFO flap that was going on in this area in what was it sixty seven, sixty eight, sixty nine, right? Correct, correct. And so, just give us. A little quick run-through of, of when it began, where it began, and, and what people were reporting. Okay. Um, uh, 
a good portion of it started in late 66 going into really full blown in 67 uh and 68 and then petering out at, towards the uh mid to late part of 69 but a bulk of the reportings came from roughly northern Rhode Island into parts of uh eastern Connecticut all the way up through the tip of Cape Cod and around the Boston area and um what was going on at that time obviously was the Vietnam War and there are uh as the doc may know a couple of bases that were of strategic importance at the time they were sac bases uh in particular Otis out on Cape Cod and um they were uh they had a, a nuclear arsenal there and it was part of you know the the cap that we used to fly uh around there but um the sightings that were seen were a large amount of um disc-shaped objects and cigar-shaped objects um in 1967 there were a series of really really clear photographs taken by a couple of uh individuals one being uh Harold Trudell he took uh, close to 100 different photographs in a um several month period in Woonsocket and Cumberland area around the diamond mine. And and I feel like uh, we should throw this out there because Dr. <laughs> Scott might not be familiar with the geography but where she had her experience, we're talking about right 20, down the road. 25 miles. Continue going, yeah, continue going down 95, and you're going to be there in probably 20, less than 20 minutes. Huh. Yeah. Uh, and now where, where I'm talking about is literally stones throw away from there. You're not, you're not far at all. Uh, and these photographs were extremely good. And there's even a, um, a short, I, I think it was taken in Super 8 at the time, Super 8 millimeter, of a, one of these craft during daylight operation in, I believe it's in Cumberland. Um, it, it's either Diamond Mine Hill or it, somewhere in that area. It's a, it, the exact location was never, you know, divulged because of whatever reasons they made up at that time, you know, because they didn't want people treading on private property or whatever who wasn't supposed to be there in the first place. However, but he was able he was able to uh, get a very good video of it. And um, later on, uh, a person by the name of Joe Farrier, who had a series of encounters, took a bunch of photographs of the same object stills. And um, but he got introduced to Trudell by his own investigations and uh trudell wound up being a what back then was called the contactee he wound up meeting an individual at, at the corner of a farmer's field uh out there and you he had some information imparted to him and and things like that and the typical you know we're here to observe you were you know kind and gentle space brothers and looking to be, you know, that particular type of thing. And he was guided to be 
at various locations around Rhode Island in southern Massachusetts, and he was rewarded with being able to take pictures of the craft. And those are just the the really good cases. And I was introduced to these guys through Maurice. Maurice had been investigating them back in the 70s, you know, when he, he was big into it. Maurice was my mentor, just for clarification, Doc. Um, and I was able to look through both Joe Ferrier's material because he created Probe Magazine and all of that pertaining to the whole flap. And what I'll do, Doc, is I will make um, copies of the magazine for magazines, I should say, for you and send you copies so you can read about the history of what happened up here for yourself. Uh, uh, hopefully you'll uh, glean some information that you may find usable out of that. But getting back to the rest of what happened, uh, these... Thanks. Not a problem. These encounters happened all along the coastline of southern Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut. And uh, a lot of landing cases happened. There was a um, series of landings that happened in uh, the Cape, out on Truro, uh, Wellfleet, and then there was... Uh, the sightings that's actually a Norham um, police lot, 67, uh, over onset, witnessed and uh, verified by members of the police department and fire department as well. I think and you actually saw, saw that report, didn't you? Uh, probably. This yeah. is also the same flap, too, that was um, affecting this area where we yeah, were broadcasting from. Yeah. Uh, especially over Brown around Hill, Hill and Dartmouth, yeah. they were having, which was funny because at the time they were also conducting experiments, MIT Did experiments you? at Colonel Green's mansion uh, and around Hill and Dartmouth, a lot of electromagnetic um, experiments they were using. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the uh, Museum of Science in Boston, Dr. Scott, but the, the Van de Graaff generator that they have there for the lightning show used yeah. to be at Round Hill. That's where they built it Correct. to conduct these uh, MIT electromagnetic experiments there. And so this was drawing in some of these UFOs. Every time they would turn this thing on, there would be these lights in the sky. So all of this was going on up and down, you know, this area all throughout southeastern New England during that era, during that time that you had that your experience. You said it was July of 68, right? Yeah, it was July 13th, 1968. And um, I know Moniz was showing us from some of the magazines during the break he showed us an object that it it looked it looked disc shaped, but it was also so yeah. luminescent yeah. that it had like this round thing around us. And he was talking about like people reporting seeing the windows and everything. It it kind of looks like what you were describing, you know, when it's luminescent like that, it looks like a basketball. Yeah, we saw the one with the seven windows that seemed to be a big object, and the one with the the, uh, the small basketball shaped one. Now, the big object with the seven windows, how would you describe its shape? My sister and I both drew it independently, and it was dark, so we weren't sure. Hers was football-shaped, and mine was a little bit more prolonged than football-shaped. Like cigar? Yeah, not that long, but... But but general design. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Tubular. See that... Laundry yeah, something. And, and that's where, you know, I knew that there was going to be these connections because I remember when we started doing the show and Moniz was 
kind of coming on board with us to, to kind of advise us in some topics that we could cover. One of the first things that he was telling us about was Joe Ferrier and, and some of these uh, UFO cases that happened. So it, it always stuck out in my mind as something to kind of further explore down the line. And then, you know, hearing your story, it's like that, that, that fits in. Like it's one thing when you can hear a story and, you know, it has an experience for, for somebody that leads them to the work that you have done. But then to say we can fit it into this bigger picture, too, of some other things that were going on. And then that doesn't even take into account the whole Bridgewater Triangle aspect to this. The fact that this is an area, Dr. Scott, where we like to describe it as a bit of a, a thinning of the veil, as a bit of a doorway into something else, because we do have such amounts of high strangeness that happen here that it can't be ignored and it can't be dismissed as just being coincidence. There's a reason why all of these things happen here, and it's it's everything from UFO sightings, abductions. Uh, we have cryptid encounters. We have ghostly experiences. Every bit of paranormal phenomena takes place within this region where you had this UFO sighting. So I don't know if we can kind of extrapolate from your experience that it ties into all of the triangle phenomena. But one of the things that I don't hear a lot of is what happened to you and your sister where you saw this man, this man basically tried to, you know, deny what it was that you were seeing and then tried to kill you. I haven't heard yeah. a lot of that associated with triangle experiences. That's that. That's amazing to me that that, that well, happened to you. You got the trucker copa cut rope, but that's, that's just, just a legend, though. Yeah. What's that? We do. There's a legend here of a of a mad. They call it the mad trucker of Copacut Road, where there's a, a a dirt road that goes through the uh, the Freetown State Forest, and people will report seeing this truck in their rearview mirror. The the lights will shine bright in their rearview mirror, doing exactly like you said, riding right up your bumper and and, and trying to run you off the road. But then when you pull over on the side of the road, it, it disappears. But it's it's kind of more of an urban legend yeah. than anything else. But you know, you saw a flesh and blood person. Yeah. And he definitely didn't act normal. And, you know, I, I can't help but kind of think that, I don't know, I don't know if I want to tie that in. Do you, well, what, let me ask you, Dr. Scott, do you tie that into something metaphysical or do you tie that into something of this planet? Do you think it was somebody, I mean, obviously you have, uh, you know, you have above top secret clearance. So you know things that we don't know. You know things that you can't tell us. But would you think that that would definitely have to be a flesh-and-blood human being, or could this have been some sort of a, a metaphysical projection? I have no idea. Um, he looked like a perfectly normal person, as far as I could tell. Nothing odd about his appearance or about his the way that he acted? Aside no, he from didn't trying to have him? an accent to me. Could you tell nationality? No, it was dark, and I was... Thinking about getting a picture, so in spite of the fact he acted really weird, and I was scared of him. How about um, how about his dress? I didn't notice his dress. I just noticed the truck was sort of like a large U-Haul. Um, he caused us to split apart, though, because after I talked to him, well, I was afraid if I with my high-speed film, I might get lens flares from the freeway and so I wanted to climb up this hill that was beside us it was sort of a stupid thing to do probably but my sister became protective and she said 
um, she didn't want me to climb the hill, and she wanted to either go with me or not. And I told my sister to guard the car because I was afraid the man would take over the car. And so he separated us because finally she stayed by the car and I went up the hill. And so he kind of separated us just because I was being very cautious about him. I mean, it it definitely sounds like it was a, you know, a, a legitimate, I mean, I'm not trying to discredit your 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 sighting and in, in your experience, but it sounds like it was a real person as opposed to being like one of these, you know, men in black type encounters. I don't know because he certainly didn't act normal. Well, right. I mean, why would somebody be trying to tell you that you're not seeing what is obviously right in front of your own face and then, you know, trying to run you out the road at the same yeah. time? And it, you just said there was a legend of a trucker. What kind of a truck did the trucker have in the legend? That's like a like a like a Mack truck, right? In the Mad Trucker legend, what kind of truck is it that people report? Oh, seeing? that's that's the thing. They all reported different things. Some some are reporting like an eighteen wheeler. Some are reporting like a a Ford Monster truck. Mm-hmm. You know, some it's just a regular pickup. You know, it, some it's a panel van. Yeah, I mean, we yeah, this is like a large U-Haul, which seems weird to me too. Because why would uh, I mean, I guess maybe it's possible somebody was just out driving a U-Haul, but why would somebody driving a U-Haul stop when you're having this experience solely for the purpose of telling you that you're not seeing anything and there, there, there isn't anything there? Why would he even stop if he wasn't seeing the same thing? Yeah, I, I mean, maybe it was a trucker that was worried about us and saw us stop and stopped to check on us. But he obviously wasn't because after he checked on us, he just stayed in his truck and watched us. Right. I don't think if he was if he was concerned about you, I don't think he would try to kill you just a few no. moments later. So that's in, – in, in all your work, both – I mean, and I guess I know that you can't really tell us what you would know in your government work, but at least in your, your MUFON work, I'm sure that you've heard of similar stories, but nothing that would kind of indicate as, as to who that would have been. Certainly not any kind of clandestine um, – you know, watcher type figure or some sort of agent of, of, uh, some unknown agency that would be looking to keep down your experience? Well, I don't, I think there, it wasn't coincidence because it, I was thinking about this after I finished writing my book, but if you point at something and somebody can't see it, they look in that direction. Well, he looked in exactly the opposite direction. So he wasn't, when he asked, what are you looking at? And I pointed, well, he was deliberately doing something else. Hmm. And he did it twice. And you did you ever encounter uh, at any point in, in your life, both uh, professionally and privately, did you ever encounter any other weird individuals that might have shown up in your life, asked strange questions, or just seemed off? Oh, so once I had somebody call me on the phone that had my voice. Wait, what? And that was a pretty weird experience. Somebody called you and talked to you in your own voice? Uh-huh. What did they say? Well, I had got up one morning with a flu, and I called in sick. And the person I talked to was a secretary. So probably she and maybe my supervisor 
knew that I wasn't at home. But somebody called, and the person had my voice. And I was terrified, and the person knew where I was. And I can't remember what we talked about, but I was so scared I called my mother afterwards. And I was ready to <laughs> run home. Uh, I was in Columbus, and she lived about 20 miles away. And I didn't, but it, that was a pretty weird experience. So did your coworkers know that you weren't there that day when you went back to work? The only... Um, Nobody else, no, no, I didn't know anybody in the world that had my voice. Right, but I'm just wondering if, if, as far as they were concerned, if you were there that day. Was this person there impersonating you throughout the entire day? No, I didn't even think of that. I just assumed, you know, they knew I wasn't there, but I didn't think of anything like that. Hmm. I mean, if they can mimic your voice, who knows what else I could do? Somebody could have been posing <laughs> That's as you. A creepy thought. I'm sorry. It's just the first thing that popped into my head. That didn't pop into my head at all. <laughs> uh, uh, hopefully, I'm just weird, and that didn't actually happen. But but somebody knew I was home, and that was scary. Yeah, that's that is that is a little weird. It's a little unnerving. Now, see, when we first started doing this show, uh, Moniz warned me, <laughs> and he said, "You know, you're going to pop up on some radars." Because you're going to talk about things that people kind of don't want you to talk about. And I think for the most part, we've avoided getting on those radars for a long time. But I, I get a feeling this show is putting us right back on those radars. Uh, there, was an, there was a night when I went home and it, it felt like somebody was watching me down the street from my house. And from that point on, I kind of was very careful about where where we took the show. I'm going to make sure that I'm not seeing anybody after this one. All right. And I, I think I know the show, types of shows you're referring to. You're referring to the certain, um, we'll, we'll call them true crime type of things that involve uh, cults and other. Not just those. Yeah. But you, okay. That there's certain... Certain areas of disinformation where they don't want us sharing yeah, certain yeah. things. Yeah. You know, not to not to give stuff away, Moni's are the same people that have uh, have been in your house when you're not home. Yes. Yeah. So. And took my stuff and tried to. Yeah. 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 I had my house broken into. They stole part of my research. Uh, I'm an I'm an analytical chemist by trade, and uh-huh. and I've done a lot of research on what are called trace cases. That's where an object affects physical materials. And I would collect some of the physical materials to do testing on. In a couple of uh, high-profile cases, they came and took the samples and took the results and then tried to burn the house down. Two weeks later, I get confronted by what I'll call a pair of gorillas in uh, Armani suits that weren't black, but threatened me at gunpoint. Ooh. Yeah. And I had mentioned to you, Dr. Scott, uh, when we talked on the phone, that one of the cases Moniz worked on doing some of the trace research on was, was actually Betty Hill's dress. Correct. But you still you still have that, right? I they still have pieces. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't take that. 
yet. I mean, we don't know what's going on no, tonight. Some of the other stuff they took were certain crop circles that I had, crop circle samples, which was interesting. You know, a, a lot of people have the, and I'll use this term, misconception that they're all stomped down by people with boards and rope. No, not true. Not all of them are that way, done in that manner. Uh, quite a few are, but not all of them. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, Dr. Scott, this, this led you down this path of, of researching UFOs as a, as a career. And, I mean, I guess the, the big question is, do you feel like, is your time spent researching UFOs, is it just an effect of your experiences, or do you think that your experiences happened intentionally to put you on this path? Well, it kind of worries me because I can remember when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronomer, too. And that was way before I heard of UFOs, but we had that funny experience, and I always kind of wondered if something was influencing me. And, for example, when my sister and I had that sighting, we both woke up at the same time. We both became terrified at the same time. And it was like kind of maybe there was some mind control or something. I mean, it's it certainly seems like you were being pushed in this direction one way or the other. So in all of your research, both working with MUFON and, and working uh, for the government, I know that you've had the chance to be in some of the secretive areas of places like Rice, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. In all of the research that you've been able to do, it hasn't helped you really get any closer to the answers as to these experiences that you had personally. No, I'm just confused as why. Studied it as I was when I didn't know anything about it. It's not helped me a bit. <laughs> well, and I thought we would help you tonight, but it sounds like we're just making things even more confusing. <laughs> well, actually, something I want to add about that was um, I was working for the DIA, and it was above top secret. It was, we had to identify all the flying craft over a particular area of the earth. And I was very disturbed about that whole thing when I went to work. But I didn't say I go around seeing UFOs because, you know, I look crazy. But I did just mention UFOs. And it turned out the people that I worked with, my supervisors, had reported a UFO on our classified photography to their bosses and got a really weird response. The, the bosses said it was a flaw in the film, <laughs> and it wasn't. Hmm. So that was made well, me wonder about the upper echelons of the government. And that seems like a pretty um, cavalier dismissal of, of something like that, too. Well, it wasn't. It obviously wasn't um, a flaw in the film because it was on two different missions. Right, so what are the chances of, of having the same flaw in two different rolls yeah. of film? And yeah, Impossible. So it just seems like no matter what, you're going to keep finding these stone walls to getting any closer to the truth. How about in your field work with MUFON? I mean, obviously with that, you have to extrapolate your own answers from what it is that you're gathering. But I would assume that, you know, in all the years that you've done this, you've, you've kind of 
at least seen some patterns and at least seen some 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 groundwork that you can lay to make a case for the fact that these are actually craft from another planet. Well, I just couldn't figure out anything about them because it uh, they seem to be shape-shifting in a lot of the ones I explored where somebody will see a, an orb and it may turn into a humanoid or they may see a little balls and suddenly they form together and turn into something that looks like a person and things like that. And so I'm not too sure whether they from another planet or just some kind of energy that people just don't understand. So they're they're seeing these like balls of light that are coming together to form into beings? Yeah. In one I investigated they did. So it's not a matter of uh, it, it's it's not somebody being brought up to a ship. It's it's a being coming down and interacting with somebody here on this on this planet. Like that, I think. Hmm. That's and and so these. I guess these is that like a. I mean, obviously you're only speculating, but is that like a transportation type thing, or is that? Those are the energies that are making up these beings, and, and it could be around us at any given time. Yeah, I thought that, that probably we just have very narrow senses of what we see, the radiation that we see, like light is just a small portion of the spectrum, and a lot of it's invisible to us, and the same way for hearing and things, and our energy levels and everything else, and we just may uh, be exposed to such a small spectrum that there's a lot going on around us that we don't know about. Uh, that's that's kind of weirding me out <laughs> a little bit too. Uh, this, this is going to be. A, I know where she's going. Well, I mean, I'm sure you've heard similar stories. Then, if you if you know, yeah, I, that's the problem. I don't like commenting on without having the permission. Oh, no, I. Don't take that into account. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was another um, sighting that was kind of like mine uh, by Walter Webb. He wrote the book about it. I think it was called Encounters at Buff Ledge. And it happened about a, within a month, and it wasn't too far away. Did you ever hear of that? Uh, I have not. Sounds familiar. Well, yeah. And it was similar to your sighting that you had outside of Boston? Somewhat. What did they it was an abduction type thing, but it involved little balls of light like I saw that came out of a UFO and things like that. If, if I remember right, the, didn't the Hills report seeing like little balls of light while they were driving? Well, lights out in a diff- distance, yeah. Uh, but that's not the case I'm thinking of where they saw like balls of lights around the vehicle before... They saw the actual. I, I seem to remember there being one abduction case where they saw. Well, there's a couple of abduction cases. That's the other thing I keep pointing out to people. Most abductions happen while people are doing mundane things. They got the the, the illusion that well, it's been painted as a, the the most common thing by media more than anything else. Of people only get abducted in bed. Most common activity is people driving when they're abducted. So 
Yeah. And I seem to remember hearing about another case where there was a car driving down the road and these balls of light just start like yeah, kind of populating yeah, around the yeah, car. Yeah, there's plenty of cases like that. Okay, yeah. so it's 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 probably it, many cases that I've heard. And yes, um, when the hills had their encounters, when they finally came to a stop and the craft landed in front of them, that there were the little balls of light seen. It's not I, not while they were actually driving. Hmm. Hmm. Well, Betty Hill's niece had helped me a lot with this. Kathy and Martin. I had written a piece that was published several places about comparing a number of the sightings in that area. And one of them was the hills and the one of Buff Ledge and R and another one at Sharon, which was a town south of where our um, experience took place. Mm-hmm. And there were some commonalities among these sightings. Were they all kind of in the same time period? I mean, the hills the were what, ledge, 62 or 63? 62. Yeah, the Bluff Ledge and mine were about the same, just within a month. Uh, the hills was several years earlier, and I think the Sharon was a, just a couple of years earlier. Hmm. Well, I mean, I can't, I can't say it enough. I mean, this area just has so much weird stuff that goes on. <coughs> Excuse me, and it goes back centuries. So, uh, I think it was what 1690 was the first reported UFO, or 1670. Yeah, there was um, a UFO reported in the Bridgewater Triangle over the Muddy River. That was actually just north so, of so it. So that's a uh, that feeds into the Charles, right? Correct. Yeah. So yeah. we're talking like kind of right up near north the tip. of 128. Yeah. Well, actually, more towards Appington. Okay. So the tip of the Bridgewater Triangle area. So, I mean, we've got UFO oh. sightings going back to the colonial era here. Well, after you told me about that, I looked it up, and it was in um, John Winthrop's diary that he wrote right. about that. It was 1639. Okay. And what was interesting was I had... About most of my ancestors, I think, were in Massachusetts at that time. Really? There's no way to tell if any of them saw it. But that was kind of interesting. In, in, in Massachusetts Bay Colony, so they'd be kind of in that area, I would assume. Yeah, some of them were in the Plymouth Colony, and the, uh, some of them were in Boston, and all through that area. And we're talking about something that would have happened kind of right smack dab in the middle between the two. Yeah. And we were on Route 9 when we began to see our object, and we were not too far from the Muddy River. I looked that place up on the Muddy River, and I'm not too sure exactly where we were, but we weren't too far from it. I know it's... That first sighting was. I know it feeds into the Charles, I'm pretty sure, but I wonder where else it connects to, the Muddy River. it looked like it went it passed Route 9 several times, and we were on Route 9 when we started seeing the object. Well, it, the Muddy River separates Boston from Quincy, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, our co- local commuter rail goes over it. Uh, I used to take that into work every day, but... Um, 
It, it, yeah, it is near where you're talking about. Very near. I'm just trying well, to see, like, wh- what else, you know, if, if it's like some sort of a, almost like a path. You know what I mean? Well, it was a navigable waterway that was used at the time. Well, for smaller crafts, but. Sorry, I'm going to. Oh, that was pretty interesting. I don't mean to go down rabbit holes while we're while we're on the air, but that's what ends up happening. Yeah. <coughs> I just go over to Google and I start looking, and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I'm like, wait, no, still hosting a radio show. Go down this, go down this path later. But, um, well, I mean, just in the time that we have left, we, we have about ten minutes left, Doctor Scott. Let's talk about uh, about the new book, Sacred Corridors. What can people find in that book that will be unlike things that they've read in other UFO books? Well, I. Project Blue Book took place in Battelle Memorial Institute and Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And I worked at Battelle, and I've been sent to Wright-Patterson. And so I've seen the places and talked to the people that did the work on Blue Book and have uh, documents from them and stuff included in my book. And I also have... um, Dr. Heineck was one of the principal investigators, and I have a number of his handwritten letters in the book that tell about what he thinks about UFOs and different things. Well, and of course, Blue Book is a huge topic right now because the History Channel has that series. Have you had a chance to, to catch any of that series? Uh-huh. What, what are your thoughts on that, considering that you know, you're, you're familiar with the actual real Project Blue Book? What do you think of the, the way they're presenting those stories? It's not near... Well... It's pretty interesting, but it's not exactly as they presented. Yeah, it seems like Hollywood. Yeah, they're trying to turn uh, Dr. Heineck into like a Fox Mulder type figure, and they're you know they're they're bringing in other aspects of paranormal stories that might not have been part of the Blue Book files, and it just seems like it's a it's a plot device more than anything. Well, Project Blue Book was very interesting in itself, and. So I was trying to tell the real story behind the scenes and everything of Project Blue Book. I mean, what is probably the the one thing that's in the book that somebody will read and, and walk away? Like, what's going to be the thing that sticks in their mind and and, and says, wow, that's something that I, I find to be the most fascinating part of it? Well, like the TV show, it shows all this investigation. And it doesn't tell what it, what they did with the investigation, but this was a study at Battelle. It was a secret study. They um, had a good way to study the results of the investigations. They did a statistical study, and the study showed that there's a probability of less than one in a billion that UFOs are real. And that's something people don't realize. We had a lot of fake studies, and I mentioned them in the book, too, that they're what people are aware of, and they said, oh, there's nothing to it. Don't pay attention to it. UFOs don't exist. And there's lots of reason to think those were fake, but the real studies showed that there's a high probability that they do exist. Right. It just makes mathematical sense that... They would. Well, bear in mind that they also did studies way back in the day that showed, you know, that tobacco was good for you, too. Well, the menthol is medicine. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the point being, you know, you can make a study say anything. 
I work in science. I know how I that know, works. I know. I've, I've, I've heard some polls on TV. The polls on Fox News say one thing. The polls on CNN say another. And reality and the truth is somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, we did get a good question in the chat room that I want to ask you, Dr. Scott, that uh, actually ties into a lecture that I'm out and about giving. Uh, I just gave it in Plymouth the other day, and I'll be giving it in Berkeley at the uh, Council on, a- on Aging on February 17th. It's a Sunday afternoon lecture uh, called Presidential Paranormal. And in that, I talk a bit about um, you know the, the Gray's supposedly offering uh, an exchange program of information for abductions with FDR. I talk about Truman and and uh, Majestic 12, and I talk about uh, Eisenhower and the secret space program. So the question that came from the chat room is, do you think the government and aliens have been working together in some fashion? Yeah, everybody asks me that. And I, it's my opinion from working at the DIA that there's some higher group in the government that knows something about UFOs. But I don't know. They're always talking about disclosure. Mm -hmm. But with disclosure, I think you'd have to be able to prove what you're disclosing. So if you said UFOs are real, you'd have to prove that. Right. I don't know if anybody can because it would involve kind of controlling the ufos so what you're saying is you cannot confirm or deny the existence of ebe1 or valiant thor no okay i mean it would depend on the ufos i think to prove it well and i I think that that's that's fair enough because uh, you know there like you said there has been this push for disclosure but with that would have to come that would just open up a whole new can of worms for people to uh those who would refuse to believe it would then question things that are being told to them. So it's like, okay, fine. Well, whatever. I, I could go down a path here that I don't want to go down. But we have a hard enough time convincing people whether or not climate change is real. So proving the existence of extraterrestrials or transdimensional beings would be a, an even taller task, I think. Yeah, it seems to me like there'd be a lot of very complicated things that have to happen to actually disclose anything because you'd have to be able to verify what you're saying well i highly recommend that people pick up the book uh sacred corridors secrets behind the real project blue book right patterson air force base roswell Battelle, memory metal dr j allen hynek and ufo cover-ups and they can get that from your website irenascott.com and of course wherever else you get books uh, whether you go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble or anywhere else online. And, uh, of course, you can pick up our other books as well. Dr. Scott, thank you for joining us and, uh, and for sharing your experience with us. And, uh, we will hopefully be able to bring you back on in the future and we can, we can dive in a little bit even deeper into, uh, some of this stuff. I'd be very interested in that. And thank you very much for having me. And if you're ever in this area, let us know. We'd be happy to, to meet up and, and go over some things with you and, and kind of show you around the area with some of the other stuff that's happened around here. I would be very interested in that, and I'm hoping to get back there one of these days. All right. We look forward to meeting you. Thank you so much for for joining us, and, and take care. Thank you. That is Dr. Okay. Irina Scott. And, uh, again, her website is irinascott.com. I knew Moni's that uh, bringing her on, you know, we would we would be able to give her some answers for some of the stuff. I didn't realize we'd open up the door to so many other questions. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I mean, I know that that's what ends up happening, but I think that um, being able to take her experiences and, and place it into the context of something that you've been researching and, and yeah. been know, you know, been uh, looking into for years, it hand in gloves with the rest of the stuff that was happening. So yeah, and like. This is some. I'm, I'm just going to give you her phone number because the two of you should just connect and talk. And between the people that she knows and the people that you know, and but you know, I, I just think that there's uh, a lot of uh, interesting discussions that can come as a result of that. And just in hearing somebody who, okay, we talk about all these experiences that have happened in the Bridgewater Triangle, happened in southeastern Massachusetts, happened as part of that flap in the late '60s. But now you're saying, okay, but here's somebody that had an experience there who also, by the way, has above top secret clearance. This is somebody that has something at risk by coming out and talking about these things. Yeah. And this is somebody who could, man, I'm just, I'm going to have a hard time sleeping tonight thinking about some of the stuff that she was talking about. She had a good good amount of stories that were very, very Somebody impersonating her. That's, that's her, creepy. Yeah. And I I tried to stay away from the creepy, but you know how it goes. <laughs> it finds us. The ghosts I can deal with. The ghosts I think I have a firm, somewhat of a firm handle on. It's all this other stuff that I'm like, I really don't know anything. Every time I think I know something, you know, it's that Rowdy Rowdy Piper effect. Just when you think you know the answers, I go and change all the questions. And that's what we do here. And we'll do that again next week. To next week, we'll be talking about Hawaiian legends and lore. I love that. I love being able to just kind of focus in, narrow in on on a region or a people, a culture, and kind of learn about their their beliefs, their spirituality, their views on paranormal topics, and hear some of the strange mysteries. But the mysteries of Hawaii and of the Hawaiian kingdom, you think, might be something of the past, but it's still happening today. And in fact, Stephanie and Porter have become part of those mysteries. And so they'll share that story with us next week. If you want to get in touch with us during the course of the week, you can email us spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at SpookySC. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Like us on Facebook. Really, anywhere where you can follow the show, please do. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the podcast. Email us. Let us know how you found the show, how you listened. Uh, let us know what topics you want us to cover. What are your favorite shows? We love hearing from everybody. So do that. That's our question, our ask of you. And until next week, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, I'm Tim. Stay spooktacular.